0: Hi there, and welcome to, I guess, are we calling it the... It's still called the RashCast. We're still figuring out the, the details with this. Right. So, uh, uh, anywho. Welcome to the RashCast. Welcome to the RashCast. I'm Jake. And I'm John. And uh, today on the RashCast, which I'm saying a bunch of times, uh, repeating <laughs> it ad nauseum until we burn it into the ground, mm-hmm. is Noah Frank. Noah Frank is the digital sports editor at WTOP. He is an A's fan who can apparently, because he works for WTOP, give you weather and traffic on the eights, along with some really excellent and incisive sports commentary. And so we're very happy to have him on. Say hi to the folks at home, Noah. Uh,
1: hello.
0: <laughs> uh, so first of all, thank you so yes. much for being on. Uh, it's a little bit of a step down from Jeff Passan, but we'll take <laughs> what we can get.
1: Listen. Uh, I am at least two or three inches taller than Jeff Pass. I just want to get that out there for the record.
0: That is very okay. important to so know. We do. Up. Yeah, we, we judge all of our guests by height. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it, I,
1: I, you know, compared to the general population, I am the very definition of average. But if you put me in the pool of national baseball writers, I'm playing center on that Rec League basketball team. Uh-huh.
0: It's absolutely I mean, It's true. not saying much when Ken Rosenthal is probably the two. So, right, exactly. Yeah. Shooting guard Ken Rosenthal. Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah. Uh yeah, obviously our dream guest since we judge guests by height. We're thinking of having Yao Ming on the podcast next week. But uh-huh. uh for I don't now know how much you got about baseball, but. no. Uh but for now, uh pleasantries aside, uh-huh. uh so our first topic today. Well, let's talk at uh, so this week for the Nats have been very good. Uh led right. by you know hot offense. They've they've gone four and one on the road trip so far. Uh-huh. Uh and, and I it, And what we've seen a lot from coming from this week is a lot of tough pieces about Davey Martinez and his managing. Right. Uh, A lot of, you know, Davey kind of vindicated (laughs) himself this week. There was a uh, Brittany Giroli piece for The Athletic in which uh, Davey Martinez came out and basically said, I know I'm very good at my job. I know that the sports reporters who, you know, came after me in, in May when the team was 19 and 31 were just doing their job. But I'm doing my job, and I'm very good at my job. And I was sort of struck by that. And, and speaking of sports reporters who wrote takedowns of Davey Martinez, uh, you, in May, alongside every other sports reporter, including Thomas Boswell, uh, wrote a very uh, thorough takedown of Davey Martinez as manager. And uh, now that the team is, instead of being 12 games under 515 over... Uh, we wanted to know what your opinion was of Davey, uh, and sort of talk about
1: that. Yeah, well, so to go back further, uh, I was, I think, the first person in our local media consortium to take down Matt Williams back in 2015. <laughs>
0: Thank you and for your...
1: Bravery. Well, yeah. the thing is, I'm not. I'm really not a fire the manager kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people were anti Dusty, and I wasn't thrilled that they brought him in in the first place, mm-hmm. just because I grew up in the Bay Area and I watched him mm-hmm. not win titles with very good Giants teams. Um, often come down to in game decisions and stuff, and you know, so it, there's. I, I I try to stay away from being the like fire the manager chorus, unless I really feel like. Have a well-articulated set of data points that I can, you know, point to and really say, "Okay, this person has failed in all these situations. I don't trust him. Here's why. Here's what I think is going to happen in October or before October if they're not even going to get there." Um, So I felt like we had that for the last couple years from Davey Martinez, and he certainly has been let down by his own bullpen uh, in ways that aren't his fault necessarily you could point to just general team building that is not his responsibility right? Um, but we've seen him fail in a lot of similar situations even now even when they've been winning they've sort of mm-hmm. been winning in spite of him as opposed to losing additional games even when he's made the right move earlier in this season um, and as well as the Nats have played recently they've still lost games they should have won during this stretch. The
0: Nationals, uh, my favorite stat is that of the Nationals, losses since the All-Star break, only three of them have come from starting pitchers. The Nationals have 57 losses on the season. 30 of them are done by relievers. Uh, There's never been a team with more than half of its losses to come to relievers. The, The closest that we saw was last year when 36 of the Rays' 72 losses came from their bullpen, but that was obviously sort of skewed because of the, the opener. Uh, the Nationals don't do the opener, and yet they're still on pace to possibly have the bullpen lose more than half their games, which is, is something we've never seen before.
1: So a friend of mine sent me this stat, and this was like a week ago. So mm-hmm. take this in mind when you think about what's happened over the last week. And it was that the Nats have been tied or ahead in the seventh inning or later mm-hmm. in 49 of the last 53 games.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's it's
1: so now, add seven games to that (laughs) or whatever you know. Even
0: on when we lost on uh when the Nats lost on Tuesday night, they were leading one nothing heading into the eighth inning, right? Um, that's another game in this hot stretch. This past right two weeks when the Nats have been scoring so many runs, their two losses have come because of the bullpen. Yes, I mean that was
1: against a hapless Pirates team who's losing to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I I jumped on a little bit to just talk about it. That's a game you have to win. Mm Especially when you look at September, because I've been talking about September for since like July. Yeah. Where I'm like, listen, guys, really look at September, which yes. now looks even worse that the Mets have gotten their shit right. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Against the all last, odds, by the way. Yes. Right. Well, but
0: also in spite of their manager. That's also true.
1: Yeah, but they they also have really good starting pitching. And oh yeah. Every day can beat you, you know, mm-hmm. and outside of, I think it's three games against the Marlins starting on labor day, there are no easy wins. No, no schedule. No. And I don't think, I think you can make a really good living just pointing out, just like taking hot takes about a baseball team right before they're about to face a really tough or a really easy stretch of their schedule Mm -hmm. by going contrarian. If, if they've played poorly going into the easy sketch or played well going into the hard, hard stretch. Um, But you know, they're gonna to have to have a several game lead in the wild card going into September, yeah. I think, in order to make the playoffs at all.
0: Well, and, and they do. At this point, they are four and a half games clear of a playoff spot, three games clear of the first wild card, but four and a half games clear of the Phillies and the second wild card spot. They've they've done in this stretch against not I mean, I wouldn't say that the stretch that they've had right in has the last been weeks. Yeah, has been particularly easy. I mean in the sense that you know they've played the Pirates, yes, but you know they've also played the Reds, who are they were coming off a hot streak and are a talented team. They played the Brewers, who were expected to be in the thick of the wild card race, have fallen back of late, and they played the Cubs and and sort of walked all over them. And not only the Cubs, and the Cubs' main thing this year is how poorly they play on the road, but we played the Cubs at home, where they were 14-1 and four heading in uh, at in series heading into the series, and the only other series loss they had this year was in may against the reds i mean this is sort of the knock on the nats when they played that super easy schedule to get back into it in june uh that they were you know merely beating up on bad opponents but first of all they weren't just beating up on bad opponents they were dominating them at a pace that you know even a good team can't be expected to do they were they were beating them at you know if you expect say that a good team will play 500 against other good teams and win 2 of 3 against bad teams they were doing even better than that uh and and this stretch you know where they've gone 10 and 2 against the basically just the NL Central mm-hmm. uh i mean i wouldn't say that they've been you know for, first of all they've been dominating the competition they haven't just been beating the competition they've been walloping them in ways that I, I don't think this team has ever gone through a stretch like this. Maybe, you know, the, the closest thing I can think of is late August to early September, 2012 uh, when they they ran through uh, memory serves the giants, the Astros, the Cubs again. Uh, yeah. But th- this team, the point is it, I understand the concerns about schedule in September, but, And this team can't, other than the bullpen and other than, you know, the manager and managerial decisions, I don't think this team can possibly be playing better than they are right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're finally getting the contributions from guys that we thought were going to be better in the first place, you know, whether it's Adam Eaton or Brian Dozier. Those guys, like, this sort of non stars in the lineup are producing at higher levels than we've seen. Right. Um, I really think the back end of the rotation has been the the biggest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, If you look at what Anibal Sanchez has done the last 15 starts or whatever it's been, Mm -hmm. um, and to watch Joe Ross suddenly be really competitive pretty much every time out Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, guys like Eric Fetty be able to give you six good innings. That's really been the difference, especially with Max Scherzer hurt. Um, When he got hurt, there was a real question of whether or not they'd be able to sort of keep that together, knowing how bad the bullpen is uh, for this, you know, sort of median stretch before things get really tough. Uh, and I, I definitely doubted that they would be able to based on precedent. Uh, but they've, they've done really, really well. And I really think that that's been the difference because you haven't had that many times when they've had to, you know, go through that bullpen progression and put everybody in and say okay we really need everybody to do your job today which has sort of been the, the failing in the past. Well, I'm still like a 6 ERA for the season out of the bullpen. Right,
0: and every every game that they've had where they've had to ask the bullpen to really do their jobs, they've struggled or faltered. Well, here's the thing that's interesting about the bullpen which we've noticed, we had t- we off air me and Jacob talked about this, but whenever the bullpen needs to stretch out and go about 4 innings, Or five innings they do their job you you can look at you know yesterday when they shut down the cubs for four and two-thirds um or i think the the better point that we've made is that it seems like the bullpen really only struggles in those late and close type situations. situations high leverage team leading by one or two runs but i mean uh at at least lately. Uh, but the Nationals have done a good enough job bludgeoning opponents in the past two weeks to completely paper over any bullpen struggles. Uh, I mean, they've done basically Sean Doolittle, Doolittle goes down. And so the Nats decide to respond by just scoring as many runs as humanly possible so that they don't need a closer until he gets back, which I think is a smart strategy. Uh-huh. I, I would try and carry that over to maybe the playoffs, just score a whole bunch of runs and then and have the starting pitching go like six or seven, right? Just win. Yeah, I think it's a good did, strategy. Yeah. Have they
1: even had any saves like during that stretch? You know what I mean. I mean, they had. Didn't, they've
0: had blown saves.
1: Yeah. yeah. Didn't
0: Garrett get a save? No. Oh uh, yes, Garrett but, did get a three inning save. Three inning save. That was the one the save they've had. That's but that I mean that was in a seventeen to seven game. So yeah. They've not had any traditional one inning three runs or less saves since we put Dulaud on the. Well, I mean, since earlier than that. Yeah. I, I mean, I do I, a how saves. The last, no, the last. Oh, was not yeah, Monday. Yeah. The last save that they had was Friday against uh, the Brewers, the yeah. one run save where Doolittle fanned Yellich but couldn't get any swings and misses with his fastball, which was an ominous portend of things to come. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anywho. Going back to Davey. Right, which was the original, uh, <laughs> I guess, the jumping off point. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so so you know what we've what I have said in favor of Davey you know the issues that he had in May have not gone away uh, he still seems to struggle managing a bullpen the the way that I break it down is he seems to always want to make and this is you know call this psychoanalysis or whatever but he seems to always make the moves that he believes will subject him to the least amount of scrutiny uh whether it be using his closer in a four run game, whether it be stretching out a guy who's been hot lately. Uh, I mean, and, and part of that's obviously not his fault. When you've only got one reliable reliever, you're looking for flashes in the pan wherever you can find them. Uh, but I, I would give him credit for as the team has turned around and as the team has added veteran leadership, you know, in, in Fernando Rodney and Gerardo Parra. And this is not a backhanded criticism. He has done a good job of not getting in the way. Uh, obviously, when he tried to manufacture fun with the cabbage, with uh, what was it last year? The camels. Forget. Camels. Uh, How could you forget? I forgot the camels. Uh, but when he's tried to manufacture fun, it, it seems to have gone nowhere. But as this team has come up with the dance lines, with Brian Dozier singing Kalma, uh, which has sort of become an anthem for this team. Uh, he has done a good job letting the team form their own chemistry, and that can be hard. But uh, you know, I think he does deserve credit for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, staying out of the way is a big part of a big league manager's job. Mm-hmm. And so, you didn't give this background, but I know you know this background. I I worked in the big leagues and in the minors mm-hmm. um, before I jumped back to the journalism side of the fence. And when I was in the minors. I saw a really interesting contrast with our managers at the two different levels that I worked at. We had this very fun loving gregarious, uh, former giants catcher, Terry Kennedy down in double A. And he kind of kept that team together despite a bunch of other stuff that was going on. And it was, it was not a great place to play. And he was able to kind of keep that light himself and take, take charge in that role. And then I had another Former Giants catcher who was Terry Kennedy's backup when they were playing in Steve Decker in Fresno, and he was just a miserable person to play for and work with, and and was just just made life that much harder every day in an environment that was actually pretty good to, to play in for the players. It was well maintained, and staff was good, and everything. And um, it, it's at that level you need somebody in charge who can really guide. The team and keep people on track and and take an active role really kind of every day in, in making sure that that's happening and guys are getting development that they need or fixing that they need, especially at the AAA level, to tweak to try to get them back to the big leagues. But in the, in, in the big leagues, it's not like that. Most of the time, it's about just doing the X's and O's of managing not, you know, maybe massaging egos here and there, and making sure people are getting enough playing time, that they're not grumbling, uh, if it's, you know, your bench or your bullpen. And, but it's mostly just kind of staying out of the way and, uh, you know, only getting in there when there's an issue. And yeah, I think he's done a good job when the team is playing well of letting the team play well and not overmanaging, which is something that you shouldn't take for granted because a lot of guys come in and are bad at that, especially guys who've been minor league managers and are kind of used to doing that at the minor league level. Um, you know, it's sort of the proverbial, like don't fuck with a winning streak, but, right. but also just, just try not to upset chemistry when things are going well. My concern is the next time they, they lose, you know, four out of five or seven out of eight, or you're not even that, but just either are in a situation where, he makes the wrong calls again you know twice in a series or whatever happens does that fun get sucked out of the whole enterprise and then what does the team do how do they respond do we see what happened earlier in the season where they kind of let it spiral and you have a another game like the uh rosenthal game against the braves or or you know even the brewers extra inning thing for a couple weeks ago like what what happens after that uh And is he able to do more than just let the team be fun? But like, like, how do you, how does he get them back on track?
0: Right. I mean, he, to his credit, when the team was 19 and 31, given his sort of, I don't want to call it a reputation, but sort of it, you get the sense from his demeanor and from his managerial style that he's the type of person to maybe if not panic, sort of redline a little bit and, uh, sort of push his players beyond what they're actually capable of doing. Uh, you, you have to sort of be at least a little impressed that he didn't, when the team was panicking, try and jump in and sort of... I mean, the thing that I was concerned about coming into this season with him as a second-year manager, he in his first year in 2018, uh, he took a very hands-off sort of Uh, If you remember in spring training, the whole point of his spring training in 2018 was emphasizing having fun uh, over everything else, sort of a loosely structured spring training. And that backfired a great deal. And so the thing I was most concerned about with him coming into this year was that he would overcorrect and that he would go from sort of Joe Madden clone to... Matt Williams clone and sort of overcorrect by becoming a hard ass. Uh, And I especially thought that that was what would happen after the team started 19 and 31. But to his credit, he didn't do that. Uh, He didn't, if anything, he actually loosened the reins and allowed his team to sort of manufacture their own fun. But, you know, there is something to be said for managers who are able to. I mean, I don't know. You've been in these clubhouses. I haven't. Uh, it's hard for me to say whether or not at the major league level when you've got professional athletes all with their own sort of motivations and egos and things like that, you can really have a manager anymore who steps up and gives that Newt Rockney style inspirational speech that pulls the team out of a funk. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't – if there were a manager capable of doing that, at the major league level. I don't imagine Davey is that guy. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I don't really think that's a thing
0: you right. know, uh-huh.
1: a, anymore. It's really more about setting the tone day to day and and just uh, creating the right environment you know, for people to do their jobs well and, and not feel like, you know, if, if it's a team that's growing and, and trying to build into a contender that they're not always looking over their shoulder, that thinking their job's going to get taken, that they have the space to kind of do that. And if it's a team that is gonna be hopefully contending that like one loss is okay it happens you know you're gonna lose 50 to 70 games even as as the best teams in baseball um and that you can kind of turn around and and, and come back they've they just had so many like back breaking losses this season yeah and they've sometimes responded well and sometimes haven't they've been kind of you know uh good examples of that and not great examples of that. And I think that they're they have another week or whatever here where they're playing really bad teams after today and have a chance to keep stretching that lead out. But there's going to be something in September where they're going to have to kind of mitigate their losses and and probably play better than 500, you know. Just the Braves are playing so well right now. Mm that it, it seems hard to imagine, even as well as they're playing, unless they take a bunch of those games head-to-head, them catching Atlanta. Right. Um, but there are there's going to be pressure. Somebody else is going to make a run, because this is what happens when bad teams really fall off the cliff after the trade deadline. And especially in September, they start playing a lot of their young guys, and they don't really care as much about winning as making sure that they have the pieces for next year. And we see that divergence where... I remember in 2012, that you referenced earlier, mm-hmm. um, the Cubs came to town for a four-game series, and you might remember it because in the first game of the series, Bo Porter mm-hmm. went like running over to the visiting dugout, and it, it looked like there was going to be a full yeah, brawl. yeah.
0: That was just the complete decimation of the. That was a fun weekend.
1: Well, and and I had interned for the Cubs, you know, a handful of years earlier, and mm-hmm. and their PR guy, who had been my boss at the time, we were talking up in the press box, and. they still had some fight in them. And and as evidenced by that, that little interaction. And we were talking in, during that first game, which was a very close game. I think the Nats ended up winning by a run. Two to one. And basically my, my old boss was, was like, when it was like one, one, or it was, it it was late in the game and close. Mm -hmm. He was like, if we lose this game, you guys are going to sweep us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, trust me, like with where we're at and where you're at, if we lose this game, you're winning all four. And yep. he was right.
0: The Nats, uh, after that 2-1 win, they hit six home runs in consecutive games the next yeah. two days. Yep. Which is... well,
1: but, but that's what happens. And, mm. and that's the problem is when the Nats are playing teams that are still competitive and that are still going to be fighting for things, and those other teams are playing teams that are not, they're going to have a much easier time, not just winning a series, but sweeping a series, because if they can get the win in, like, the one close game. You know, We usually think of, like, oh, one team maybe in, in a fairly even series plays better, clearly should win a game. The other team plays better, clearly should win a game. And then there's sort of a... a, a, a one that's up in the air that gets decided by something close. Like, that happens a lot between two good teams or two evenly matched teams. Mm-hmm. And then if, like, the bullpen blows the game you should have won, then that's where you end up with, like, a sweep one way or the other. Uh, there aren't... There's not evenly matched things. There's like the one close game, and then the good team's going to win the other games. Right, and so you're, they're going to feel some pressure. I think if they're not, if they don't keep beating good teams, which they've only re- recently started doing, they're still like thirty three and thirty eight against teams over five hundred, right. something like that for the season. Um, so I'm. In terms of going back to Davey, the original question, (laughs) uh, I'm really interested to see what happens when they stop playing these bad teams and they have their struggles, which they're going to have on some level against the good teams. And, you know, if they start feeling that pressure and if it starts getting tight and it's, you know, only a couple game lead or or whatever, now how do you respond? Because that's where the leadership comes in. Like, how do you keep everybody just focused on well okay let's get to tomorrow you know it's gonna be okay this isn't the end of the world uh even if they lose like two out of three to atlanta and there's that like okay well now we can't win the division or whatever that's fine we're gonna get to the wild card game we're gonna get max healthy whatever um you know does that happen or is that last week when philadelphia comes to town if they're still competitive you know does that turn into a disaster with the Indians right behind them still fighting for the postseason? Right. Like that last eight games in seven days. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I, I just keep, like I said, for a couple months, I've just been looking at September going, yeah. this yeah. is going to be really
0: interesting. They play all the good AL Central teams. They play a whole bunch of games in their division. They and the, play, the NL East has They have to go come. at
1: St. Louis mm-hmm. and at Minnesota. Yeah, right. And then they
0: also play Cleveland at home. They play Philly for five. so they play, yeah seven games against the braves right it's 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 a gauntlet mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh they are playing as well as anyone in the major leagues right now but it's you yeah, know the braves have won seven in a row i just i cannot believe this the braves are you know i i would complain about it the braves are getting contributions from you know, at least in this Mets series from billy hamilton Adani traveria and uh Cervelli. francisco Cervelli. And I complain about that except for you look at the Nationals and the Nationals are getting contributions from Fernando Rodney, Gerardo Parra, and Estrubal Cabrera, all also cast-offs from considerably – like, I mean, it just – it's – I don't and know. You need that if you're going to win a division. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: like, like, unless you're the Yankees or whatever. But like, well, the like, Yankees – Look at the Yankees. The Yankees yeah, have gotten well, – I mean, traditionally the Yankees. Yeah, but right. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, you need to find – guys who overproduces, you know, I always go back to the 2012 Nats, Chad Tracy and oh, yeah. Roger Bernardina
0: and like like
1: one ligament remaining, like Aww. throwing like to, like a two and a half ERA and the right. eighth inning. Um, but yeah, it's, they're getting at least as much of those contributions as the Nats right. are right now.
0: I mean, and the Nats would be absolute, first of all, the Nationals have a better Pythagorean record than the Braves, which matters for nothing, but it is also, fun to say.
1: It's worth pointing out that they've won a few like absolute blowouts. Yeah. That is probably tainting that
0: a little bit. Well, actually, they uh, haven't, at least as of a couple days ago, they had an under 500 record in blowouts, according to baseball reference. Uh, It's their
1: record in one run games, or let's say one and two run
0: games. Let's check that out. It is. uh, So in one run games, they are 14 and 19. In blowouts, they are now 20 and 16. But up until last week or so. They were actually 500. They just happened to have won four blowouts this week, which, as far as it goes, is a pretty good way to win baseball games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: it's regular season. Take all those wins you can get. Yeah.
0: And it definitely helps with, you know, I mean, as you said, with a wild card race, things get especially tricky because there isn't one team that's chasing the Nats. There's five of them, uh, which means you have to outrun at least three of those teams, which means any one team or any two teams that get hot, uh, while you're playing this gauntlet of a schedule, uh, can end up sinking your team, your, your season. So it's not, when you're scoreboard watching it, it's especially difficult because there are so many games to watch there. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to win a wild card. Uh, which is, and then obviously you go into one-game playoff, and I am extraordinarily interested in seeing how Davey Martinez manages a one-game playoff because there seems to be this impulse with a lot of uh, with a lot of managers to sort of overmanage in that one-game playoff, and by overmanage I mean utilize the bullpen as heavily as possible. Uh, limit, uh, because you can sort of manage in a way you can, you can manage your roster in a way that, uh, allows you to have more bullpen than before, uh, because you don't need multiple starters on that roster. Uh, so there's this tendency to sort of, at least in the 14 or so wildcard games that we've had, uh, to over manage, uh, but, that strategy won't work for the Nationals because they have a ace starter on the mound and a terrible—we're talking near historically bad bullpen. I mean, you've seen what the Giants were able to do in 14 and 16, where just, they just ride their horse. Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game in 14, both And both, both times. He threw That's right. two shutouts, he threw two complete game shutouts. Yes, yeah. so you don't have to overmanage. I mean, I, no, but Davey I don't. Martinez is no Bruce Bochy, right? I don't trust. I don't trust Davey Martinez to be as cautious and sort of willing to let his players play mm-hmm. as I mean, if you watch Davey Martinez as a manager, the thing that he was accused of that nearly got two relievers mutinied in two thousand, well, it did get two relievers mutinied off the team in two thousand and eighteen is sort of out of an abundance of needing to have every single option available, uh, he dry humps players, he, he warms up relievers uh, sort of without regard to the likelihood that they're going to get into the game. Uh, he he seems to, I mean, he did this with, with Doolittle a lot. I know that there was a stat out there that Doolittle got warm in 14 of the Nationals' first 17 games. Uh, not pitched, but got warm in them. I mean, I, I think he only ended up pitching in like seven of them but he got warm in 14, uh, and and that's something that you really have to uh, consider when you're talking about workload. Uh, And so I I just, you know, I've heard sort of rumors of complaints from the Nationals bullpen about Davey Martinez being a very difficult manager to, uh, to be in that bullpen for because you never know when you're getting up for real or when you're getting up to sort of give him a second option. yeah, uh, you, you, It's just relievers do like predictability uh, and that can be a hard thing to find with Davey Martinez. So I'm I, that's
1: it's something that Davey Johnson always talked about is that everybody knows what their role is. Right. And it's tough when guys aren't performing well and you're trying constantly to figure out what those roles are. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, i give him a little bit of leeway there, but, but yeah, to your point that he definitely isn't thinking like long-term in terms of usage. That's where, why we're at, we're at with Doolittle. It's why I'm very concerned at how long Daniel Hudson's arm is going to (sighs) remain attached to his body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are you going to have left when you get to October? Like who is going to be available and fresh and healthy? Um, I think it's a real question at this point. And, you know, you're talking about sort of managing in a wild card game. Mm-hmm. He They have the advantages of having, you know, a Max Scherzer hopefully healthy, where you can just say, unless he's really, he he really doesn't have it, we're going to ride him as long as possible, because you don't want to have to turn it over to anybody else. But you could also use a starter out of the bullpen for an inning or two, you know, in, in relief. Um you, know, you think back to Game Five, the last Game Five. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I really thought they should have used Scherzer to start, and I said as much at the time. I thought that bringing him out of the gates for an inning or two, uh, he had pitched before. He, he was on you know, a couple days rest, but try right. kind of using the Jordan Zimmerman model from 2012, like I just have him come out, but but start him instead of having him come out whenever you like need him at the last second let him go through his normal routines and preparations um and kind of you know punch him in the mouth right out of the gate and then you can go to your next best pitcher or whatever but, like use your best pitcher how he's used to being used you know first um and i was really disappointed in the wildcard game last year that the a's didn't do that right um uh, so well, Liam Hendricks has has gotten a lot better this right. year but mm-hmm. that he was not the same pitcher last year and they've been using him as an opener to moderate success but they basically were like we can't pitch Mike Fires at Yankee Stadium and I was like Mike Fires is your best pitcher yeah. right now you have to use him you don't have Sean Minaya. you don't have like anybody else who's like mm-hmm. a competent starter Well you you should use him for as long as he's good and then and then you know now we'll scramble with what we have left but like What if he gives you five good innings? Like, maybe he can. He's your best option to do that. Max Scherzer is your best option to do that. So ride him as long as possible because you probably don't have a lot of other good answers behind that bullpen
0: door. Well, you also look at, at, I mean, you talk about relievers coming out of the bullpen and you look at game four of the, or starters coming out of the bullpen, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And you look at game four of the 2014 NLDS when Matt Williams had, Uh, Steven Strasburg available he had Jordan Zimmerman available if he wanted to go to him Uh, and instead of either of those guys he decided that Matt Thornton and Aaron Barrett were going to be his seventh inning guys in a must-win elimination game Uh, and his defense for that was basically just Aaron's my seventh inning guy he's been that guy all year round and like I've said there's there's something to be said for reliability and for relievers having roles, but... That goes out the window of the playoffs. Exactly. Mm. It, it's it's about workload management in the regular season, but you don't do workload management in the postseason.
1: Uh, yeah, they left Strasburg in the bullpen in that game, was, you know, malpractice. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. like, we were all... I was I was back in D.C. just watching the game on TV, but we had a guy who was in San Francisco from from the station, mm-hmm. and we're just on I don't know whatever predated Slack, and we're just like, what is happening? <laughs> Why is this? You know, uh, like how, you, you can't lose that game with him down in the bullpen. Yeah, uh,
0: but I mean, and you look at the we talk about the A's as yeah, we talk about the A's in the last year's wild card game, and I don't know that that fires was their best starting pitcher, or, or he was their best starter. I don't know that he was their best pitcher. Uh, you could make the argument that rather than use an opener who is less good, uh, than perhaps even Mike fires, uh, for a couple innings stretch, you, you go to your best relievers out of the gate. I mean, the, the A's had the gift of a very deep bullpen in 2018. I mean, it was, it was Trevino, it was try-in. trying. It was, I mean, they had so many familia familiar familia back when he was actually decent before he right. decided to Terrible. lose the zone completely. I mean, they, they had so many better options than Hendricks. Uh, and the fact that they, you know, looking at that bullpen and looking at how decimated the A's starting pitching was by injuries that year, I can understand turning a wildcard game into a bullpen game, but to open that game with, you know, your fifth or sixth best reliever was just was malpractice to me. I just yeah. didn't understand it at all. Well, an,
1: an Aaron Judge hit like a 550 foot home run to yep. left field on like the fourth pitch of the game, and it was like, oh well, this is over.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... I was,
1: I was, I was at that game, and oh, I'm sorry. I, oh yeah, well, I mean, at least didn't have a beer dumped on me, but <laughs> I was just like, the, you could feel it. Yeah. Yeah, right. You're like in the stands, one of those games, and you're like, "Oh, there's no momentum. This is all gone." Well, the, the only the only chance they had was to maybe score first, mute the crowd a little, right. drag it out, you know, turn it into a mud fight and and win one of those games. But they didn't score, I think, until the eighth inning.
0: And so, uh, yeah, when Davis hit that homer to right. But I mean, the yeah. good news is that you're you're fighting for that chance to do that again this year. So yeah,
1: although the starting pitching is way better yeah. this yes. year. Uh, I mean,
0: again, it's Mike Fires though, who's leading that staff. Right.
1: But he's even better. And you guys, like, like nobody's ever heard of, like, Chris Bassett, mm-hmm. who suddenly throws 96 with crazy tail with his two-seamer and, like, is dominating. Like, they're so good compared to what they were last year that Shamanaya just threw a rehab start in Las Vegas, which is the launching pad of all launching pads in yeah, AAA right. this year, which will segue nicely into what else we want to talk about. Right. Um, he threw seven innings of two hit shutout ball with twelve strikeouts the other day in his last wow. rehab start, and there's no discernible place to fit him into the rotation. Mm-hmm. That's how good the rotation is. Yeah, where like the fifth best starter is like Tanner Roark.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, and, and well. he's
1: been great in four starts for you yeah, guys. Yeah, and
0: kudos to, to Billy Bean for actually, you know, you got to give Bean this. You know, the the team is run cheaply, uh, but every single time Billy Bean Feels that there is a chance to contend, he is willing to make improvements at the deadline. I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, you look back to John 2014. Luster. It didn't work out, yeah. but it wasn't Billy Bean's fault.
1: There was there was a stat I don't remember if this is still accurate because they've had a couple bad years before these recent good years, but there was a stat going back like 20 years that they had never won fewer than 78 games during that stretch, wow. which. It matters. Like, mm-hmm. I know they don't draw well in Oakland, but like, they that keeps a fan base engaged over bad years. Mm-hmm. And even when they're bad, I'm still paying attention to them, you know, um, and seeing where they might be good the next year because you always felt like the next year could be a competitive year. And then that, that turns out to be true a lot. Um, where they, you know, I can't remember how many games they won in 2017, but it was not a lot. And then they won 97 games last year because they had pieced it together and they were on the brink of being good again. Because they didn't just do this like five-year tank job that we know doesn't always work, even though it did work for you know, the Astros and for the Cubs. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see the teams that have sort of elected to do this. Uh, which ones don't see that pay off in any meaningful way over five or ten years? Yeah. Well,
0: and you you face a diminishing re- a level of diminishing returns because the more teams bottom out the fewer teams you have to sort of trade for or trade with to, to get talent back I mean it doesn't work if, if 15 teams aren't trying then it's very difficult for the those 15 teams to rebuild for the future because the only avenue then is through the draft if you can't sign free agents or won't if, if you can't sign free agents because they don't exist or won't because you won't pay for them and If there's no one to trade with for the talent that you have when you rebuild, then the only avenue is through the draft, and the draft is a crapshoot. It's it's certainly no uh, sure thing that you're going to have what happened. I mean, the Astros missed on half of their high-level draft picks. I mean, Brady Aiken, Mark Appel, it's not as though... You know, we think of the Astros as this brilliant organization, but they rebuilt through the draft, and they had a lot of misses with their with their hits. They're just bad for so long. They eventually got accumulated enough prospects to make up for it. Right. And so and guys
1: came through like Altuve. Yeah. Know, who were like. Right
0: not expected to be exactly right
1: i mean springer bregman correa all top five picks no No, springer Springer was was
0: an 11th pick he's 11th pick, top round
1: pick but yeah first half of first round right
0: Right. Right. so a guy who was expected to be good Uh but it's it's not an infinitely repeatable model uh and it's definitely a cover for teams who just want to win cheaply if they're going to win at all uh but regardless that's not what we're going to talk about because it's depressing We're going to talk about a different depressing thing, which it's depressing. It's just a change of aesthetic. So as you have pointed out this month, uh, August of 2019 is the first month in major league history with a home runs per game for both teams over three. Uh, the, the dinger ball aesthetic of baseball has been on the rise. Uh, it started in the all-star break of 2015, uh, it increased through 2016, reached what we thought was the peak in 2017, seemed to be some mitigation last year, and then this year, it's, yeah, it's been completely the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess, you know, we, we've litigated what the causes for that are. Uh, you've written articles about, you know, the physics of the ball uh, and the way that MLBs process for creating the balls after MLB bought Rawlings has sort of changed the uh, the way the balls are manufactured they've actually you know given them closer scrutiny which has had the perverse effect of, of giving them what seems to be less control uh, you know unless you want to put your conspiracy hat on uh, statcast right i mean the, the best conspiracy i ever heard was that yeah they they juice the ball to give statcast something to measure Mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I, I want to talk less about that and more about what you think about the aesthetics of baseball as it is today. I mean, do you necessarily have a problem with the dinger ball era aesthetically?
1: So there's sort of the two things to unpack here. One, which I think people give too much credit to, which is the stylistic change in terms of uh, approach and focus on launch angle, and focus on on really not cutting down with two strikes like was always been taught in generations past. Um, to try to create, you know, more fly balls and more home runs because they figured out mathematically that home runs are so much better for your offense than anything else. That
0: really, home hated. runs are good.
1: But, yeah, but 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 you know, it's crazy. Really, we went through a long period of baseball history where. It was not understood how good home runs are. <laughs> that like they're so much better than singles. That like it's much better to hit one home run than four singles. Home runs like, It's. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like that's why we're at where we're at right. It's math, basically. It's it's people realizing that like okay, it's more valuable to have a guy that most people have never heard of, like Mark Canna, who is hitting two fifty, but gets on base at a three eighty great and hits 30 home runs and can play all three outfield positions like that. He's a more valuable player than a lot of baseball players. Um, mostly because of the home runs, the on base percentage is good too. But, um, oh, wow. but yeah, I mean, like there's a, there's a mathematical valuation there that home runs are so valuable that we're just going to teach everybody to hit more home runs. And that has affected the way that batters swing and, guys in the miners are swinging and that is changing it from an aesthetic standpoint and then there's the ball which is really having the results uh change more like like i don't if you look back through the numbers yes more uh like the launch angle is is, is affecting on some rate you know the home runs hit but really it's the ball the ball is 90% or whatever I'm of of the difference, uh, just because it's traveling x percent further because of the way that it's manufactured. So, to your question of aesthetics, I think home runs generally are good for the game because the, it's more offense and people like watching home runs. Like mm-hmm. they do. Like most fans like home runs. I'd say probably every fan likes home runs, but yeah. especially casual fans like watching home runs like mm-hmm. that's they may not even pay attention to singles like like your average fan who's like half on their phone and more interested in their hot dog it is only going to really notice when runs are scored and like is going to be more excited because all the lights go off and the fireworks or whatever you know like i mean like that's this is an entertainment product right yeah. and that, it's one of the most entertaining things that that happens regularly like yes inside the park home runs or like you know, a triple into the corner or something might be aesthetically like more pleasing, but how often does that happen compared to, you know,
0: outfield out assists work? are pretty fun. I don't know if there's a way to encourage those, but get slower yeah, base, um, base runners,
1: but slower base runners.
0: Good idea.
1: Fatter <laughs> base runners. Uh-huh. Like, like I probably appreciate a good, you know, nine to double play more than a, than a home run, but I don't know if everybody does. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I don't know. It's there is certainly some value, some loss of of the whole idea of like manufacturing runs and building a rally and uh, doing what the Giants did to the A's in the eighth inning last night, where they couldn't get anybody out for like eight guys in a row, and it's just you know turnstile. But I don't think objectively it's like bad for baseball that there are more home runs. I think the worst concern is that there are more strikeouts yeah I agree and, and th- then they're not divorced from each other and they're, they they are, they are part of the same issue but they're not entirely like tied to one another yeah um, so I mean I, I don't have a problem with the home runs except in the way that they lead to more strikeouts
0: I so here's my problem with the home runs. It's not so much that there are more home runs that bothers me. I like home runs because I am that idiot clapping child who likes to see the ball hit far. Uh, but it, it's just the the sense of artificiality, not in the number of home runs, but in the balls that are going out that bothers me. You know, seeing a a 5'8 guy pop a fly ball into the, you know, a 5'8 right-handed hitter pop a ball into the right center field gap that, you know, for all the world looks like a fly ball and then just keeps carrying and carrying and goes out. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that is frustrating to me. You know, and this this whole concept that this is the, the fly ball revolution, that it's the product of the fly ball revolution. Like, I, I understand that there's more granular ways of looking at this. That will show you that players really have made changes to their approach but we see we we're seeing fewer fly balls as a percentage of all balls hit than we were in 2004 uh, or or 2007 it's not as though the only thing that has changed in terms of batted ball profiles is the home run per fly ball rate it's not the fly ball rate itself Mm -hmm. Uh, and yes you're seeing a small uptick in exit velocity, uh, and a slight change in, in uh, launch angle from, from what you look at from StatCast. But, I mean, the truth is, it really isn't the change in approach, it's the fact that the balls are flying farther. Uh, but, as far as it goes, if you were, and this is the argument that I've made, uh, that I, I think started as a contrarian argument, that I've sort of adopted as a real argument because that's how these things work. Uh, But if you were to dejuice the baseball and do nothing to fix the strikeout problem you would be seeing essentially a new new dead ball era but instead of any contact or any you know you, you would be seeing a dead ball era in which from 1968 there would be five to six fewer balls put in play game and it just I mean say what you will about this era but it is an above-average offensive era in a time where pitchers are throwing harder than ever and players are making much less contact than ever and if you're trying to encourage offense without fixing those root causes without fixing the fact that the pitchers are throwing harder than ever yeah, I don't know how to do that other than juice the baseball mm-hmm.
1: Well, and it's important to talk about what we're talking about when we say choosing the baseball, because it's not like the baseball is like springier or, and it's not like, I really don't believe that it, that they intentionally made a baseball that's supposed to lead to more home runs. It's just kind of optimized. Uh, For the most part, we look at the changes, you know, the, the seams are, slightly flatter and it's slightly slicker and and all these little components that sort of go into it, just make it more aerodynamic, but it's making a better baseball. I mean, a, a more streamlined, uh, better manufactured baseball. So like the way to like de juice the ball is to make a worse baseball, which I don't really know is the right answer. And unfortunately to, to your point, the one thing that I think would really help pitchers is if they stopped going with they're basically trying to create this um, that's what I'm looking for uh like a mm-hmm. synthetic stick uh right so that mm-hmm. you don't have to rub the baseballs, and so right. what they've done is failed to do that and created this slicker baseball that that especially in breaking balls like pitchers aren't able to get as much grip on, mm-hmm. and that was really. We we saw not just home runs, but wild pitches and hit by pitches, and all that. And also, pitcher
0: blisters. You know, a lot of pitchers yeah. are complaining about blister problems.
1: Right, and 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 but it's important that those other two stats went up too early, like April and May. Like they, they were having a hard time adjusting to to especially spinning the ball. Like more breaking balls were hitting batters because they weren't able to get you know, on top of them or whatever and get as much tack. Uh, and so you really. Like the best way to help pitchers is to fix that and you know give them something that they can throw better. But now you're just probably adding more strikeouts, and, right? And still the still the lazy fly balls that you think are going to get t- caught before the warning trackers are going out if somebody hits it hard enough. So I don't know that that fixes anything except
0: makes pitchers, pitchers happier,
1: right? Um, so I mean, I don't I don't know that there is a good answer to what do you do to the ball? Because you either make the ball like actually worse, like a worse constructed baseball, um, which I don't know, maybe that's what you have to do. If, if you care about historical perspective, which I don't really, like, I don't, I'm not like, wow, uh, we can't have 40 guys hitting 30 home runs. Like who cares? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, like that's, that doesn't matter to me and nobody's hitting Ninety home runs. You know, it's not completely distorting the whole idea of what a great power season is.
0: Although there was sort of there was a report that came out. Uh, I can't remember. It was someone from B Pro who came out and said that uh, it, there's a possibility, looking at Bonds' spray chart from 01 that he might have approached 100 home runs in this run environment, which would have been fun to watch. So. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, I mean,
1: like, are these bad things? Like, like in a, in a, in a you know, wide scale, like would that have been so bad? Like, yeah, I'm sure people would have complained about it on some level, but also a lot of, a lot more people probably would have watched baseball. Mm-hmm. And yeah, ultimately 100. when we talk about like all the other issues that baseball has, <laughs> we would like more people to watch baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's, yeah, it feels weird. And because it's different and we're not quite used to it. And we're not really sure where it's going from here, but it, the strikeouts again, are, are a bigger concern to me than, than the home runs. But yeah. they're
0: also much more difficult runs. to solve yeah. is the problem. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the biggest, I mean, you created this sort of, uh, as I've sort of talked about before, you created this reinforcing mechanism where you sort of, by creating a much more standardized zone, uh, you took away the ability for, low velocity pitchers to create their own zone for the Glavins of the world to keep hitting corners until umpires gave them strikes. Uh, I mean, this is how I see it. Uh, and that sort of created a system where the only way to get outs was with velocity. Uh, and then you created a reinforcing system where pitchers were only scouted for velocity or scouted a great deal more for velocity than before, uh, which created sort of this reinforcing mechanism that, that uh, made it so that pitchers believe that the only way that they could be scouted was by increasing their velocity. And I know this isn't a, a sort of million-year-old complaint that you would hear from, I don't know, Cy Young in 1951, but this idea that pitchers aren't pitchers anymore, they're throwers, uh, that velocity is sort of king in the game, uh, even as as players are throwing their fastball less often. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much I believe that, but I believe that we have a problem with and that the increasing velocity that we see is both unnatural in terms of human evolution. Uh, the fact that we've seen a three mile an hour increase in average fastball velocity over a 17 year period doesn't seem right. Uh, and not particularly aesthetically good for the game. Uh, because it it encourages strikeouts, which you know, I understand. Like strikeouts are also fun to watch. Strikeouts are the thing that gets the crowd going more than anything else. Uh, but it just with strikeouts and with homers, it does feel a little bit like too much of a good thing. Uh, I I'd say with homers even more than strikeouts because. There's this element of artificiality to it where you see a ball go off the bat, you think fly ball to left, uh, and then all of a sudden it just carries and carries and leaves the ballpark, and you're sort of rendered disbelieving of what you see. But, I I mean, strikeouts, if you're trying to encourage offense, are a far bigger problem, uh, and I don't know how to solve it.
1: I I do think that there's some level of, like baseball has a way of, of finding, you know, it's way back to normals. And this has always happened over, over these stretches of, you know, big offense or, or, you know, dead ball. And some of it is the, you know, the game, you know, raising the mound or whatever. And some of it is, is just the, the teams finding ways to exploit what is new the market inefficiency, And I could definitely see, like, I, I, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, Matt Chapman at third base, Plays with his heels basically on the grass now against mm-hmm. a lot of guys. That is such a departure from what we think of as traditional third base defense. And I bet guys are going to start bunning on him. And you you still have, as valuable as home runs are, the most valuable thing that you can do as a batter in baseball is not make an out. Right. Is to
0: get on base, keep,
1: keep the outs where they are you know, and let, get another guy up. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be some, you know, not necessarily like Kansas city Royals esque 2015 counter revolution, but like teams will start emphasizing ways to chip away at those margins because you can get a guy like, I mean, even like, like Billy Hamilton, like there are guys like Billy Hamilton who maybe now, maybe they couldn't hit home runs at all, but now they're, a 10 or 15 home run guy in this, under these new conditions. Right. And they can also lay bunts down and, and use their speed to, to really wreak havoc and create rallies and disrupt this sort of, you know, all or nothing home run strikeout yeah. dichotomy. And I could, I, I could see where teams will strategically employ people like that. And, and maybe that, you know, takes away from, from some of this, uh, sort of binary dominance of of these two things. Um, And, you know, and and if not baseball might tweak some of the parameters, I don't know about the whole 62 foot six inch mound, which, but I'm interested to see what happens in the Atlantic league. If they actually institute that and how it works and the dimensions of baseball have worked forever, essentially. Um, And I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like, Trying to change that right now, but I am interested to see what happens.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I have sort of been predicting the the return of the Alberto Kiaspo type slap hitter for a while. Uh, ever since people started complaining about the strikeout scourge, which was, I mean, and the
1: shift, right?
0: And the shift, right? I mean, someone who can really place the baseball. Uh, like I, I, I mean, I guess Tony Gwynn's probably a better model, but. You know, well, I,
1: Tony Gwynn with speed, right? Right. Like that that guy could ruin everybody's analytical models of, of everything.
0: Exactly. I mean, obviously, it's it's very difficult to find a guy like that, which is why Tony Gwynn's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, hey, and Tony Gwynn did have speed early in his career. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I just always think of, like, the return of the sort of much-maligned in the mid-decade Juan Pierre, Alberto Chiaspo types, the guys who can slap the ball to the left side can place it anywhere on the infield, uh, run high Babbits because of their speed, uh, the guys who are hard to shift against. You know, I, I, I keep thinking that some team is going to rebuild a team based on that model because those teams, those players, are definitely underscouted at this point and definitely undervalued by the market, but it, it hasn't happened yet, so we'll see. I mean, obviously, I mean, it, I guess it did happen to an extent with the 14-15 the Royals, uh, but... Well,
1: but they still had your Eric Hosmers and your Mike yeah. Moustakas' and your Sal Perez's who are by no means... Like, those were their best players, and those guys were mostly, you know, high-volume home run guys uh, without much speed.
0: I mean, sure. I mean, yes, to an ex- but they were also... You know, speed i mean it was they they gave you more speed and defense than most teams of that era did uh and i was sort of expecting some teams so we've seen the sort of bullpenning model of the 2015 royals be copied but not the uh the rest of the royals model which i was kind of surprised by but i, I do It'll probably
1: th- be a small market team right? yeah. that does it i mean the rays you could see just trying to do that and, and seeing what happens, cutting against the grain. Sure, I mean we almost tried it this year. Was all speed.
0: Yes, they were they were a very bad but fun team because they just decided they were going to sign every fast person out there and give them a job. I mean they rostered Terrence Gore for half a season, which is awesome because I love Terrence Gore uh, and he actually managed to even hit a little bit in his limited time i think he got like a a 91 ops plus before he was cut which given the fact that he was like a career 200 hitter in like low a ball was better than i expected uh but i don't know those i agree that you know home runs are fun i like diversity in sort of playing style and the only thing that really bothers me about this home run increase. I, you know, I'd sort of dispense with the whole ahistoricism of the whole thing. I don't care about that. Uh, it's it's fine. Baseball's always been, I mean, for for God's sakes, there was a major time in baseball history when they didn't let black people play. And we don't really complain about the ahistoricism of that era as much as we like to complain about the ahistoricism of our current era. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, when you see pop-ups leaving the yard, that sort of throws me a little bit. But, you know, there there are more pressing issues that baseball has to worry about. And I, I don't think, you know, baseball's seen sort of a, a drop in attendance over the past five years. Uh, and I certainly don't think that the dinger ball era has anything to do with it.
1: It doesn't. No. I mean... <laughs> we, we've had people, you know... Opine about that uh, in the sports pages about about how you know oh there's not enough offense and there's you know to your point there's like a few fewer balls put in play and like right I promise you that most baseball fans don't notice that yeah and,
0: and I mean in, even when we're talking about the difference between two and three home runs a game right that's not really all that perceptible it's it's one home run a game and if you're a casual fan if you're just tuning in. You're really not going to notice it.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, unless it's one of those like 95 degree, 90 percent humidity days where everything is going out and there's yeah. you know ten or right. twelve home runs hit. Like, yeah, That's on an true. average day, you're not you're not picking
0: that up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think we we've kept you longer than we wanted to keep you, and I'm sure you've got better things to do than talk to us. But
1: I hope not. I, <laughs> it's Sunday. I hope we have absolutely nothing to do. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm sure you can find something. There's probably chores around the house that need doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the longer <laughs> I hide in here, the less I have to do them. It's a good oh, point. Yeah. Well,
0: you can just keep talking to yourself.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for
0: being on. Uh, we yeah. really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, to whoever's listening, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye.